Just, I'm just waiting for the, whatever joyful activities are going on here to, to, to slowly simmer. So, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of life. I ask, God, that you would kindle a, a, a gift of revelation in every single one of us that's fresh. Be speaking whatever it is that you want to talk to each of us about tonight. That whatever the topic is of my talk, that that in some ways kind of, I don't know, sometimes when you're listening to a song and you like the song, all of a sudden you go get busy wanting to do the thing you're called to do, even if it's not music. There's something about an activity of the Spirit that kindles other activities of the Spirit. And so I pray for that to happen tonight, that, that each different person's uh, calling would get stirred up and touched, that you would be breathing on each heart. I'm thinking of 1 John 2, what is it, 27? You don't need anyone to teach you because you each have the anointing from God and the anointing teaches you all things and as the anointing has taught you, remain in him. So I'm asking God that what I do just help what you're doing and I ask for your insight that as we're discussing this stuff that you would help us to understand things the correct way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Remember that story in the book of Acts where Paul and Barnabas go into this town because they're persecuted in one town, so they're fleeing to the next. They go to Lystra, and they pray over this guy, and he's healed. Then the crowds come, and they're freaking out, and they want to, they want to sacrifice offerings to Paul and to Barnabas, and they, they decide that Paul's the speaker, so he must be Hermes. And Barnabas is quiet, so he must actually be the one in charge. He must be Zeus. And they get their local uh, Greek priest, and he's ready to sacrifice. And Paul's like, oh, my word, you guys, please stop. Because we, like three chapters earlier, we saw Herod. um, Which Herod was it? Antipas, I think. You can look it up in your own time. And he's standing there, and the crowds are like, this is not the voice of of a man, but a God. And he's like, yes. And God strikes him dead. So just several chapters later, it's happening to Paul. And Paul's like, I'm no dummy. I'm not doing this. This is not the game we're playing here. And so he, he preaches to them, guys, no, no. This is the very kind of idol we're calling you to repent of and turn to the living God. And then here come the guys who just persecuted them in the previous town. And they stir the crowds up. And the next thing you know, they, they beat Paul to what they think is to death with stones. And so they think he's dead, and they drag him outside the city. They toss his corpse, and they go, and they go back into town, like, high-fiving and going, yeah! What a crazy day for them, by the way. They they went through some mood swings. I mean, like, not even Paul, but like them. They went through some mood swings that day. That was like, wee! Bipolar extreme. And my observation on that. Well, I have a bunch of observations on that. But one of the observations is people interpret what they experience through the lens of their current worldview. So you can come in Jesus' name and do miracles in Jesus' name. But if there's if 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 the if their willingness is not 
if there's not a willingness to trade in a worldview for a different worldview, the event will be misinterpreted. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. So like St. Saint, Saint Francis said, go into all the gospel, or I'm sorry, go into, all, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if necessary, you, use, words. use words. They tried to use words, and it still didn't work. But I, I think that highlights how important it is that we use words. If we're just nice to people and, and, and we don't even mention Jesus, maybe their worldview is there's good people and there's bad people. And they will go no deeper than she's a good person. And you're not a good person. You're a God person. It was actually God in you. So, like, does that make sense? Like, Acts chapter 8 as well. I mentioned this on Sunday, but it just keeps sticking with me that he's in, the, the Ethiopian eunuch is in the chariot and he's reading Isaiah and it's, to you and me, the passage he's reading is so obviously about Jesus. So Philip runs up to him. Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless somebody explains? And that stuck me. That, that was like, oh my goodness, okay. It's actually really important. I, I was at Teen Challenge one day preaching my, my heart out. I think we were probably in Romans 6, and I'm reading verse by verse what it says. And I'm telling them they're righteous. I'm telling them they're dead to sin and alive to God. I'm telling them the old them is no longer the real them. I'm telling them that if they live under the law, they will, the flesh will come alive. But if they can live under grace in the gospel, the spirit will, inf- will inflame and an actual transformation will happen. And I'm saying, look how obvious, it's right there in the book. It's right there in the book. I'm not preaching anything crazy. I'm not making this up. This is just straight Bible right there on the page. And a hand goes up and the guy's mad. And he goes, every time you come here, you say all this crap. And I go, yeah, that's right. And you say, it's right there in the book. It's right there in the book. And then you go home and I read the book and I don't see it. What's wrong with me? He's like mad at me, mad at, I don't know, the Holy Spirit. I don't know who he's mad at. I started to get mad too. Because I was like, that isn't right. God, I don't understand why I can see it. Because God draws man to him. And if he's not being drawn, he's going to see it, like you said, in a worldly view and not in a spiritual view. So I'm torn between two opinions. I had on the one hand the verse I just prayed from 1 John 2, 27. Y'all don't need nobody to teach you because you got the Holy Ghost and that teaches you everything you need to know. And on the other hand, I'm over here with the Ethiopian eunuch and these people beating Saul, sorry, beating up Paul and Barnabas saying, we need to use words. Like, both are true. But I'm somewhere in the middle of being bothered by this, knowing y'all got your own thing going on, I got my own thing going on, and yet I actually need people too. And, and wanting that guy to hear for himself, see for himself, and yet I'm aware that I'm imparting something. That's a real tension I, I live with, and it's, 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 it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, comment. I'm going to stay real 
humble about whether he, my assumption was he had a pure heart and a sincere motive, and was, that's why he was so frustrated. Mother comment? Who? Kobe Bryant? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think about, like, people like that who look at the scriptures and can't see it yet. They're in the right track because they're looking for it, but maybe the scales just haven't fell off their eyes yet. They're still trying to carry that cross themselves. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I do know what you mean. There's, like, there's this, like. So don't give up. It's yeah. a timing thing. Oh. You know how they say, like, the truth makes you mad before it sets you free? And I that think story with the, yeah. Have a revelation of grace now. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, man. That's why I said, are you sure it was Kobe Bryant, man? So I'm living, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish. Lord, Lord I hope that he do have Me too. Me too. Mamba. So, for many years, the story of John Mark. You know who John Mark is? Yeah. Uh, Let me just quick run you through a few little details. In Acts chapter 12, do you remember the story? I'm reading Acts, so everything's going to be Acts, just kind of (laughs) pouring out of me. Uh, There's the story where Herod, oh man, think about things that make people happy. Herod kills James with the sword, and he sees that this made the people happy. Herod kills James with a sword, and then he sees this really made the people happy. So he made the people happy, Sherry. And we think our culture, right? We sometimes whine about our culture. Tempted to whine about our culture, but. And so then he arrests Peter, thinking, I'll kill him too. Great. Puts him in prison. Do you know the rest of the story? They are praying. Now, whose house are they praying at? They're praying at John Mark's mom's house. That's cool. They're praying at John Mark's mom's house, and they are having a prayer meeting. While they're praying, angels come. Wake Peter up, smack Peter. It says that. One of them struck Peter on the side to wake him up. Maybe he's a heavy sleeper like some of the youngins in my family. (laughs) Smacks him. He says, get up. Says, come with me. The doors open. The chains, it says the the details of the Bible are so fun. The chains just fall off. What? The doors just open. Nobody wakes up. Peter doesn't even think it's happening. He thinks he's dreaming. He's outside before he goes, and and then the angels disappear, and and suddenly he goes, "Uh, whoa. So he shows up at John Mark's mom's house, where a little servant girl named Rhoda 
says, and runs back in, doesn't even let him in, doesn't let him in, runs back to the prayer meeting. They're still pressing through for a miracle. You ever prayed past the miracle? I have. Who? What? We're trying to have a prayer meeting. Shut that doorbell up. Go see who that is. Get out of here. She comes back. It's Peter. No, you're on crack. You're crazy. It ain't Peter. So this is what they say. It must be his ghost. No, no, no. They say angel. They say angel. It must be his angel. And when, when, what is that? What does that mean? What does that mean about their worldview? Do they think that each of us has an angel? The angel looks exactly like us? Does it look just like us? My angel can't wait till I finally shave the beard or something? Because it's itchy for him too? Yes. And, and I, I find that I relate to that. I, I press in and I pray and I believe in the God of miracles. But when, when something really, really, really good happens, it still feels too good to be true. And you almost grab yourself to say, am I really allowed to rejoice in this? So this is John Mark's house. So then I'm just going to talk about John Mark a little bit. In Acts 12, 25, Paul and Barnabas did their their missionary stuff and they, they, they get a big offering to take back based on a prophecy, right? Based on a prophecy from Agabus, they know there's going to be a famine. So they're trying to take some some offering back to Jerusalem and they want to help those who will be affected. How hardcore of a prophet are you if when you get a revelation, not only do you get the revelation, but you have the interpretation and the application, and then you take action and do a fundraising campaign, and it all turns out exactly as you said. That still continues to blow my mind. Because I get a revelation, and I ask for an interpretation, then there's a little bit of speculation, a whole lot of hesitation, I deliver the thing, and I'm still worried about how we're going to do the application. Just being real. So when I read this guy, Agabus, I go, that's, guy's got his PhD in prophecy. But, okay, so John Mark goes with them. So Acts 13, 5, it says that John Mark went with them as their assistant. And then they have one big event that I mentioned on Sunday. They go before Sergius Paulus, and there's this, like, antichrist, witch doctory guy who's trying to undermine the gospel. And Paul gets so frustrated, he finally says, you're blind. Guy goes blind. The governor goes, whoa, whoa. And he receives Jesus. And then right after this, it says, Paul and his companions left for Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. I mean, that, he did not last long. I'm going to go with you guys. One hard conflict and we're going to get on a ship and Go, and who knows? I, I don't want to speculate. I don't know. I'm not going to say he was homesick. I'm not going to say he was freaked out realizing the persecution that could happen. That would all be me speculating. But for whatever reason, he bailed. And he bailed real quick. And then the story moves on. Then in Acts 15, the status of people like you and me is being decided. 
People like you and me, they're dis- the Jerusalem apostles have Pharisee Christians saying, Gentiles have to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses to follow Jesus, and it becomes a big thing. And they, they, they seem to conclude, no, that's wrong, but they still make some rules, which intrigues me, or, you know, really intrigues me. So then Judas and Silas, who are prophets, are sent to deliver this message to the Gentile churches, and Paul and Barnabas go along too, and, and they're like pumped. They're pumped that the gospel didn't just get lost, that the new covenant survived the first round of biblical conservatives trying to fight against what they thought was liberals. Because, I mean, just be honest, guys. The Pharisees sound like the conservatives, and the apostles sound like the liberals. I'm just being real. The Pharisees are the ones with Bible verses. The apostles are the ones with experiences. That's the argument of those today who want to do a lot of things that I disagree with. I'm not saying those people are right today. I'm just letting you know, if we lived back then, I wonder which side we'd be on. Do do you hear what I'm saying? I hope. We all assume that, don't we? We assume we would be on the right side of history. But I'm saying the Bible verses those Pharisees have feel pretty binding. If you actually read Genesis 17, circumcision with Abraham is an eternal covenant. So praise God the gospel survived. Praise God the Holy Spirit gave James the wisdom to know let's, you know, let's not put a heavy burden on these Gentiles that are turning to the Lord. Let's let the Spirit transforming their life be the circumcision. Let's let the love that, that is leading them in life be the fulfillment of the law. That, that's the, guys, that's the gospel getting preserved. So then Paul, Paul and Silas are like, let's go encourage the churches. And Barnabas goes, let's bring along John Mark again. And Paul says, oh, heck no, I ain't going nowhere with that boy. He, he, he bailed when we needed him. He was supposed to be our assistant, and he bailed. So it says they had such, let me just read it to you, they had such a sharp disagreement. Acts 15, 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him, and they sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, one of the two prophets, who wouldn't shut up. Judas and Silas were prophets and said much to encourage the brethren. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we don't get the impression that God was against either of these these guys, Paul or Barnabas. We don't get the impression that either of them was uh, less used by the Lord or blessed. But it was worth noting. Luke found it worth noting that this was the reason they separated. 
I got to be honest with you. I'm on Barnabas's team. <laughs> I know it seems a little wrong for me. Hindsight is 2020. But Paul, this is what I would, if I was there and I could see clear, I'd say, Paul, don't you remember a time when you just met Jesus and the whole church was judging you by your past and they didn't trust you? And who was it? Who was it in Acts chapter 9 that said, no, 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 guys, his heart has been changed. Yeah, 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 he did all those things, but he's headed a different direction now. That was Barnabas. That's not even his name, by the way. That's his nickname. His nickname is Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he was an encourager. And Barnabas is still doing for John Mark what he already did for Paul. And he turns out John Mark became the kind of man who later Paul writes, hey, send me John Mark. In 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, send me John Mark. He is really helpful to me. So John Mark, yeah, he had a, he had a shaky start. Well, same thing happened with Peter. Exactly. Right. Uh, and I would argue Peter seems like a bigger deal to me personally. So <sighs> I think we all need a Barnabas in our life. You know, and so then I started thinking today about God's grace, right? Who is God's grace for? It's for what kind of sinners? Is it, is it for the good sinners? Is it even for the really bad sinners? And I don't know if maybe some of you don't even have the idea that there are worse sinners. Paul seems to think there are, and he thinks he's one of them. But grace is for the worst sinners. What kind of sinners, though? Ones that are willing to take a good hard look at themselves and own it and ask for help. Sometimes sinners are not done sinning yet, and we try to help them. And the grace is available for them, but they're not going to cash in on it just yet. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, I, I mean, I called Carl the other night, real sort of, because I'm reading this book and this girl has an eating problem and a drug problem and she's addicted to Ambien and she's addicted to Whoppers and she's all these addictions going on. Her counselor says, why don't you go to a Narcotics Anonymous or an Alcoholics Anonymous group? And she says, nah, I'll go to my elders of my church. Comes back the next session. How did it go? Not great. I hate what I'm about to tell you. I hate telling stories like this. And I hope that stories like this are not um, what's going on in our lives with people. How did they respond? They seemed really uncomfortable with my sins. They seemed freaked out. And... The only advice they gave me was pray about it. And then they counseled me to not tell anyone else in the church because they probably can't handle it. So did you find help? No, not really. I actually felt like God must be disappointed with me because they're disappointed with me. 
and they're confused by me and ashamed of me. And I kind of felt, she's like, I, I believe in a God of love. And I read my Bible, I see a God of love. But I don't feel connected to a God of love at all. I wish I could believe the God of love that the Bible seems to be talking about. But I relate more to the angry God of disappointed in me and, and ashamed of me. And I'm ashamed of myself. That's why I took so long to get help, because I can't really admit that I even have a problem. So she ended up stopping going to church because she didn't feel safe there, didn't feel loved there. She felt like she had to be fake there. So she joined Alcoholics Anonymous. And right away, it's a whole bunch of people, every single one of them says, I'm a mess, I'm an alcoholic, I need help. And my sobriety is 100% tied to whether or not I'm in denial or whether or not I'm facing and owning my issues and taking responsibility. The system is built on the idea of, I need help, I'm broken. I need my, now, it was started as a Christian organization, but they still will say, your higher power. And they don't just say, it's all good, you're forgiven, everybody's a sinner, no big deal. They know that's not how change happens. They, they, you have to make a searching moral inventory, and then you have to make amends. You have to take responsibility for who you hurt as a part of the process. You might even have to set up some really rigorous, like, like in the Odyssey where Odysseus is trying to, to move, take, go, take his ship past the island with the sirens on it and their voices are so beautiful that if you hear their voices, you'll jump into the water and they'll eat you. I, maybe the story's wrong. Maybe I'm screwing up the details. So what does he have his people, his men do? He says, tie me to the mast. We have to go through. He says, you guys put wax in your ears so you can't hear them. Tie me to the mass because the only way to actually defeat them is to hear them, live to tell the tale, and then tell someone the story. Tell so- Isn't that amazing? The redeeming value of owning your stuff, owning it, facing it, experiencing it in all of its pain. I wanted to sin. I dreamt about sin, but I didn't do it. And if you're ever in this area, something about the telling of the story. So, I'm, so, I'm, so I call Carl up because I'm like, man, this is, we need grace. We need a Barnabas. We need someone who can believe in us after we mess up. Yeah. We need someone who, it doesn't disagree with whether what we did is shameful. We already know that. So it's not like we need them to be like, aren't you ashamed? Of course we're ashamed. We hate our sin. It's why we're... Tr- we need someone to still believe in us in spite of our shame. And, and I don't know, man. Like, I just started... I called Carl because I'm like, this is what we have to offer the world, not the idea that we're good people. That's not what we have to offer the world. We have forgiveness and mercy and wholeness and love. And I just, I'm still kind of, I don't know what to do with it, guys, because this morning I got up and I was making coffee and I realized I was judging myself. It's the strangest thing. I totally get that. Yeah, but isn't the one verse that we overcome by our testimonies, which is, you know, telling our stories yeah. so other people can know that they're not alone in it and that yeah. we overcome and they can also? And, I, and I, I think sometimes we want to tell the story of the victories Right. It's the downfall. Sometimes it's easier to call 
Yeah. <laughs> right. But sometimes I feel like it's easier to call your non-Christian friends or family or whatever and tell them how you're struggling because people are so scared of how. Because once you, when you're a baby Christian, that's fine. But you've been going to Christian, you've been going to church like five years, ten years, even a year, even six months. There's kind of this like unwritten rule like you should have got this by now mm. you shouldn't struggle with this or that which meanwhile we find like people who have been pastoring for 50 years or sleeping with their secretaries secretly struggling with lust the whole time and they never bring it up to their colleagues yep. because they're ashamed of it so it when it's concealed it festers and it controls a person and you know I think that's why God created people who are oversharers like <laughs> God created over and on the eighth day <laughs> I'm not a weirdo so it, it is costly to confess our sins it, it comes at the cost of the clothing that we're dressing ourselves in Say it one more time. People who relate to you, who've been in the same boat as you. Yep. You know, the, the outside life, the, the, you know. And maybe, maybe someone else's sin is different than my sin, but by, by regularly hearing people admit how they miss it in, in seemingly small ways, sometimes in big ways, it, it, it builds such a, a confidence in God's mercy. I, when I went to the Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, they repeated the phrase, Christ have mercy, like, I don't know, 19, 20 times in the middle of their service. And you might, be, you might think, why are, you, why are you constantly begging God for mercy? It didn't feel like begging. It felt like, like depending on. Like they knew they could depend on Jesus to be merciful. And they knew they needed his mercy. And, you know, it's like, and, and the crazy thing about a healthy, a healthy community is the, there, are, there are like little boundaries around the, the special sacred thing. And, and some people go, no, 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 no boundaries. Well, then you're not going to be able, the cost of belonging to that intimate circle of totally honest people is honesty. And, and people will opt out and it will, it will rob the group of its, of its vibrance when, when sinners stop being honest about their sin and s- start phoning it in and going through the motions. The, you know, it's, it's freeloaders. It's, it's people who want the friendship and the happiness without the, the price tag. And the price tag here is not earning. It's not, you're not earning your place in our community. No, you're, you're stealing from our community and stealing from yourself and stealing from Jesus. We are stealing from Jesus when we push everyone away and, and ourselves away from ourselves. So this morning I'm making coffee and I'm realizing I'm judging myself for something. And I have this thought. 
What if I was kind to myself right now? It's actually really uncomfortable, Mark. Tell yourself, I love you. And, and I would say, let's start even smaller than that. No, no, I would say, let's start even smaller than that. Tell yourself, God loves you. Tell yourself, Jesus loves you. Like, like th- that's work, let's work up to tell yourself you love you. That's harder. So I start to have this thought today about, Stan says to me, I said, Stan, can you preach for me? I'm going away next week to Ohio. Can you preach that, that, that coming weekend? He goes, I know exactly what I'm preaching about. Preach about forgiveness. One of the verses Stan mentions is Jesus saying, how, answering the apostle's question, when my buddy sins against me, and then he comes and says he's sorry, and we patch it up, then he goes home, and he does the same thing again. And then he says he's sorry again. Like he can just keep the pattern going and not change. So I forgive him again. Don't you think three is the limit, Jesus? Or something like that? Is three about enough? And he goes, not three, not four, not seven. Yeah, what is that, 490? 490 times? And I start, and this morning, I'm, like, I'm thinking about this, and I'm going, am I willing to forgive myself 490 times a day? God is. And if I'm not, I'm not in sync with the Lord. So if we're going to try to build a community of the gospel, like this is the gospel, guys. This is actually the gospel. God loves us. We need him. We're learning how to love. And and it's a process. We didn't get saved, get in the water, come out different. We did. We came out different. And then have the whole thing figured out. You know, like, okay, so I had a fit on Sunday, on Sunday morning about the parking, and then she apologized very quickly after. And then she says to me, you never have outbursts like that. And I said, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and far worse. You know why she doesn't think I do? She doesn't live with me. <laughs> she, if she lived with me, Right? And, and then she was beating herself up way too much, as, as a person does. And thank you to any one of you who assured her that she's forgiven and loved, and, and it's all good. We do stuff like that. We're humans, you know? Yeah, I think that's easier for some of us than looking ourselves in the eye and saying, I love you, buddy. Although I do talk to myself quite a bit. <laughs> I agree with that. Has he ever beat you up? I beat myself up. <laughs> People used to tell me the Lord took him to the woodshed, and I think I know what they mean. Yeah, I think what they mean is, in a moment, 
he unveiled some things. But the unveiling and their level of intensity of repentance does not mean he beat them. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like... Yep. And still works on. Yeah. Um, we have to see God as you know. He is a He is a God of love. You know, He sees us different. He sees where we're gonna go, and and we're not gonna stay. You know, after we get saved, He's gonna work us, and it may take time. Yep. You know, but He will lead and guide you where you. See, and that that hits again to the thing of we interpret our situation through our current worldview like those people ready to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, we have a worldview. It's not yet the same as God's. It's being renewed, but we're interpreting our lives according to our not perfect worldview. Right. And, yeah, that's and, I, and I think you have to soften our hearts, too, because sometimes we get so callous. Like now, here lately, it's been like everything sort of affects me because that's what I've asked him to do because I don't want to be hard-hearted, mm. or I want to receive what he wants to tell me, whether I want it or not. Yeah. I want my heart open to whatever he wants to do, or whatever needs to be done, so I can see more and more that more touches me harder than it, than it was a lot now. Mm. So, I just, you know, I just yeah. know that God doesn't give up on you, no matter right. what has happened. God doesn't, but sometimes the absence of a few Barnabases is right. enough for people to take their life. Right. If I hadn't had, if God hadn't sent people into my life, even the weekend that I planned that, he sent um, another lady at a craft show mm. out of nowhere to witness to me, to let me know he saw, you know, and, and I, didn't, I didn't, like, acknowledge it right away. It took me a month of just going over and over stuff that she had said to me before I finally gave in and, mm. and you know went to where she was going to church and then it was just a process of you know but you know, yeah but to mm. the lady who left the church and found community at, yeah right what amazes me about that is that it's, it's like we need we need God with skin on him so it's us it's that should relay that same message that God wants to relay to them, that he loves them and cares for them, that we can give them love. They can wallow in his love. It's, they need God with skill. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's your identity. Huh? That's your identity. We need someone to agree with God about who we are. Yeah. And sometimes we need somebody to point out our idol. And, and mm, sometimes we'll smack or punish any human that threatens our idols. It's natural. And addiction, idolatry, same thing. Yeah, but I'm same saying thing. how God handled 
some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, where he told the prophet to go down and get yeah. the message, and then he said, don't eat anything, and don't go back the way you came. You leave to a different direction. And he had done, you know what I'm getting ready to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, he, and that dude lied. And the, and the other prophet yeah. came and wanted him to come and eat at his house. Stupid liar. God told him that he's supposed to come there and eat. And then the first prophet goes to leave, and yep. a lion comes out and, did, and kills him. And how's, come the first, how's come the liar didn't have any punishments? Yeah. Well, anyhow. So, okay, so that, that is, that's the other part of how, how important it is. So you know the marshmallow study? They put the kids in the room, and they give them one marshmallow on a plate, and they say, if you can wait for, what is it, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and not eat the marshmallow, we'll give you, an, we'll give you two marshmallows if you can wait. Other, I mean, or you can just have the one. And if it's, if it's gone when we come back, then you got the one. So they did that study in like the 70s. Well, somebody said, this is good. And then they followed those people that demonstrated self-control through life. They made more money. They were more satisfied in relationships. And basically, their, their lives were way more fulfilled. People who developed the ability to delay gratification and tell themselves no, they pretty much did better in every metric. Okay, fine. We, we get it. We get it. Somebody else said, we also need to stay, yeah, yeah. Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> you know. Somebody else said, we need to do a study. We need to introduce some lying into, into the test. What happens, how able to tell themselves, no, I'm not going to eat this, are kids who have been lied to? We'll put a bell on the wall and we'll tell the kids, we're going to be back in 15 minutes. And if you need us, just ring the bell. We'll be there immediately. And then we won't come at 15 minutes and we won't come when they ring the bell. And then we'll see how many kids eat the marshmallow. Dude, it was dramatic. When the kids didn't think they could trust or believe the adults, there was, no, there was no, no, no ability for me to even think there was anything beyond the now. And you and I know this from being betrayed. When you've been betrayed and lied to by people you expected to be decent and good, keep their promises, didn't it feel, not that a few people were mean or bad, didn't it feel like the freaking world came apart? Didn't it feel like chaos was the world, that, the, that life itself was less beautiful and less worth living? And didn't some lies start to get planted in that maybe you are also kind of not worth it either? I'm just saying, guys, that when I, when I heard that, that somebody said, it's not as simple as just, if you wait, we'll give you another one. There's more going on. There's a social interaction between the kids and adults making promises about the future and then keeping them or breaking them. That's intense stuff. So imagine a church that when we say, if you screw up, I'm coming after you. And then we do it. Oh, that's the other thing. She, She stopped going to the church. She said, nobody called me. Nobody missed me. Nobody even cared. Now, 
Maybe they did notice, and maybe they interpreted her leaving as rejection and were too insecure to get over themselves and get on with doing what's love. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody needs to take a chance. I don't have a, a, a coherent message tonight. I have a jumble of thoughts surrounding the idea of, man, a community, like, like what it, I've been saying just one Barnabas, just one. But can you imagine if there was like 15 or 20? And, they, and, and see, it's not, we, don't, we don't really demand perfection. Your kids need you to apologize to them sometimes for the stuff you do wrong. That, that is every bit as important as, as if you had done what you said originally. It's like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I lost my temper. You're not that. I'm so sorry I labeled you that. This is who you really are. Please forgive me. And that's, my, my pattern is not to just say I'm sorry, but to say, do you forgive me? One kid, I can't even remember what kid it was. I can't even remember. It was probably Gabe. I don't even remember what it was. But I said something like, oh, do you forgive me? And he says, it's okay. And I was like, it's not okay. And of course, I'm weeping. And I'm like, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's okay. It's no big deal. It is a big deal because you're a big deal. Like, that stuff repairs stuff, you know. And, and also, as we get older, don't we start to realize our need of grace? In a, I hope, I hope we realize our need of grace. And maybe, maybe in our 20s, we were sold out for Jesus. And, and now in your 40s, maybe you're realizing you, you, you were zealous, but you weren't as godly as you thought you were. And there's some holes in there that still need love and healing and grace and transformation. And it's like, you judge that group of people so harshly. And now you're like, mm, I'm probably worse than them. Do you know what I'm talking about? I had a friend, and he was at this public big Christian conference thing. And the speaker started talking about pride. And uh, I just told you that I have never had the Lord take me to the woodshed or whatever. I have had deep on-the-floor repentance times of incredible grief over my sin. That's what happened to him. The speaker was talking about pride. And I think there was even a prophecy. Now, this violates Tim's rules of prophecy. Right? Tim's rules of prophecy are encouraging, helpful, comforting. Somebody was basically like, so-and-so? I'm not going to say his name. You need to get over this pride thing. Shattered him. And I'm saying it and I'm saying it was the Lord. And when I'm saying I make these little rules, I mean if you're learning how to prophesy and you're on the prayer team, don't make a pattern of judgment and spankings. But but I do know the Lord brings rebuke. But I like to say, if you're going to bring a rebuke, switch out of prophecy mode and switch into friend mode. Bring a word of correction with humility as a friend. You know, with trembling and tears even, if necessary. It would be way better to take the, the thus saith the Lord hat off and be like, brother, I feel like I see a pattern in your life. And if it doesn't hurt you to hurt them, like, a, like, like you know, when my parents, when I would get spanked as a little kid, 
My parents would say things like, this is going to hurt. I've never once said that to any of my kids. <laughs> I've never felt it. Um, See, Danielle did something like, not harsh at all. She said something like, you don't seem right. You seem off today. And I said, I do. Really? And she was right. You were right. I was, I was anxious. I was, I was, I was tense. I was, I was, I was, I was worried about how it was going to go and, and I was reacting to the spirit I sensed in the room, which you never want to do. You want to get higher, you know. You always want to get higher. That sounded like a drug reference. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's the right word. But my buddy, he went deep into deep repentance because he realized, oh, my word, yeah, right, 1,600 SATs, 4.0, full-ride scholarship, works for, I can't say too many more details or it's already starting to get obvious for people who know. Works for big companies, doing important things, flying all around the world. Can go where he wants, do what he wants, donate as much as he wants because he's got the money and he's got the stuff. And he once told me that his company, I said, what does your company do? He goes, we do stuff for money. I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. If your company needs anything, we're the ones who come in and figure it out. We figure out what you need, who you need, who you need to fire, what you need to restructure. We're just geniuses and we will fix your stuff. And he wasn't bragging. They do it, and they have the results. So when he said, when the per- person comes to him and says, because in his mind, I'm, I have given my life to do everything as well as I can, including the Lord. And, he feels, and, it, and it feels good to do well. And then the prophet comes and says, pride. And, it, and the Spirit of God cut him open and showed him, Oh, no, I'm drawing almost all my identity from this and not from the gracious one, not from the beautiful one, not from the lovely one. Shattered him. So to be Barnabas to each other, it doesn't always just mean you're amazing. God loves you. Sometimes it means I I see past your shell. I see past your shell. And you need to shed that shell. You need to shed that. That's encouraging, though, because it's like take off your backpack. It's encouraging later. It's encour- <laughs> encouraging in a month or two. Grace, grace really does Correct. It has nothing to do with my performance. Yeah. Yep. So I was asking God the similar question today. Uh, okay, I'll just read a few things. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
Exodus third and, and thousand third and fourth. That's point zero zero six percentage difference. So just so we're clear, don't get all hung up on the last part. Grace is God. It's who He is. It's not something he sometimes gives some people. It's who he is. It's how he is. So Luther said, we are both, he says, simul justus et peccator, simultaneously righteous and sinner. And, and, of course, some Christians would say, oh, that's terrible. I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint. I, I would say that if Luther was trying to argue a different point. But the point he's arguing is, I can only confess Jesus as Lord if I'm also confessing my need for Jesus. Even when Luther's talking about, I'm a sinner, he's not even talking about himself. He's trying to talk about how, he's actually still talking about Jesus. So, so that gets misunderstood by holiness people, and I'm a holiness guy. Simultaneously righteous and sinner. If we deny our need, we deny our Lord. And I really think we have to become grace addicts as the cure for our various idols. We are in a pleasure-addicted, distraction-addicted, escape-addicted, screen-addicted, porn-addicted, shopaholism. We, the, the, the current climate we're in is the drugification of everything. Everything being turned into a drug. So, okay, I got off drugs, but now I'm on new drugs that just aren't drugs, but it's still drugs. Workaholism is a drug. We're in a culture that instead of using the word idols, we use the word addiction. And we only make progress in grace as we take responsibility and are honest about our need for grace. Now, confidence in grace is what enables me to be honest about my flaws. If I'm building my identity on how well I serve Jesus, I will be unwilling to admit the various things wrong with me because it topples something I'm actively working on trying to construct to draw a sense of identity. What gospel? Our gospel would be we're good people. What a weird message that would be. Can you imagine? I was joking with Stan the other day. I said, I said his first words in his sermon are really important, so he should start by saying something like, man, I'm tired, you guys, because I was up all night praying that you'd be more like me and Jesus. So Peter, when he sees the miracle of the catch of fish, the, the nets are just bursting, what's, what does he say? He falls down on the ground and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful man. And, and I get it. I understand that. But the, this is why real grace is offensive and devastating even to us. We often are like, yes, God, thank you for your grace. The truth is, grace is painful to receive because it, I know I don't deserve this. He shouldn't treat me this way. It's wrong for him to treat me this way. I don't want him to even see this about me. Get away from my ouchy, yucky parts. Don't. No, don't, you, I don't want you to see this. Don't wash my feet. Get away from it. It offends some real scared parts of me. 
You know, don't even tell me you like me that much. I have a hard time with compliments. I have a hard time with insults, but I have a hard time with compliments. <laughs> Tim, you're the most amazing whatever in the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, but the healing will only come if instead of saying, get away from me, I'm a sinful man, we learn to say, come closer. I'm a sinful man. Come closer. Come closer. Come closer. I'm a sinful man. I need, you to, I need you to touch the parts of me that I don't want you to. And so sometimes we end up singing and praying things like that are not, that are not quite right. Like I'll say, okay, God, if my heart's a castle and it's locked, break in. Break in. Bypass my defenses. Break in. Take, take me. Take me over. Ah, I know. I, I really am. On the way home, the younger son, he's practicing his repentance speech. Guys, we have to stop it. We have to stop. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. The father literally interrupts that. He's, that, that speech didn't earn him any brownie points with the father. Right? It, it, that, that, that's not what gave, gave him forgiveness. The only thing that gave him forgiveness was the going home. And, and really, he had it before he got home. I saw a crazy movie clip yesterday. This son shows up at his dad's doorstep, and his father says, what are you doing here? And he's like looking to see if mom sees, because it's going to be hell to pay, because they've been through it with the addiction, right? You're not supposed to be here. We kicked you out. And, and the son says, I'm clean, dad. I'm clean. And he opens his wallet. He goes, dad, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. I'm not here for anything. I'm here to tell you I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you don't want me as your I know you don't believe me anymore. I know you, you gave up on me is what he said. I know you gave up on me a long time ago. But I just want you to know I'm really doing really well. And I love you. And I miss you. And I'm sorry. And the dad says, continues opening his wallet, not getting money. Pulls out a photo. It's him as a boy. He says, I never gave up on you. Oh, of course, it took 60 seconds for the clip to make me cry. And I'm like, oh, I never gave up. It's exactly the gospel. Oh, my goodness. So here's my prayer journaling for uh, today. Father, have I yet learned to be kind to my own soul? Am I able to extend 70 times 7 mercy to my own soul as I become aware of sins throughout the day? Not yet, he said. <laughs> it's pretty honest. <clears throat> But that's the journey you're on at this stage. You will become far easier to be around. <laughs> as you learn to extend grace to yourself. But it's not as simple as showing yourself mercy. It's also the reality of learning to see your flaws. A new willingness to see your flaws without fear that if you look, all you're fine is only flaws all the way down. And the real trick, see, I didn't realize that was the fear. Is it only, if I pull that yarn, does the whole sweater come undone? And then you're just standing there naked? Like, oh, well, that goes 40 years. He says, the real trick is to learn how to let me be the expert on you 
and to acknowledge that you're a mystery, even to you. The one who is free is just self-aware enough to remember that it isn't about them. Just self-aware enough to keep themselves in check. I'm self-aware, but I'm never selfish. I'm seeking what's best for people in every action, in every inaction. Even my silence is purposeful and loving. Even my judgments are loving. And then I say, becoming comfortable in my own skin. On the one hand, it seems like the healthiest place to be because it honors the cross and God's righteousness and the covenantal, I use an old school word, sureties that you've given us. But on the other hand, God, what if, what if in the name of grace we veer into making too much of ourselves and belittling your holiness and your glory? Check it out. Check what he says. Making much of my glory has nothing to do with belittling yourself. Agreeing with who you are in Christ will actually grow your reverence and help you treasure my glory. Make no mistake about it. So I wrote two little bullet points. Comfortable in my own skin. Kind to myself. Thank you.